Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Daphne Araujo, who is the proprietor of Achendo Cellars. She also owns Daphne Araujo Olive Oil Company and is the partner of Wheeler Farms, all in the Napa Valley. Daphne, it is a true honor to be seen down with you today. Thank you, Michelle. That's very kind. Um, thank you for inviting me. You have a fantastic story, which everyone needs to know about. Your first career was in landscape design, and then you ended up in the Napa Valley. So do you want to talk us through that transition? You know, I'm happy to because having been a landscape architect and having been raised in a family that, that welcomed gardens and, and um, they've made a big impression on me all my life. Um, it's still a big part of who I am and even though I'm not a practicing landscape architect anymore, I'm still always designing things and it's added to my enjoyment of, for me the wine business is more about growing grapes than anything else and I, I take great pleasure in that. So the transition, was my husband Bart and I met in Santa Barbara. He was a home builder and I was a landscape architect. We met, then we were married, and several years later, he sold his home building company and we moved to Napa Valley because he's from the Bay Area and he wanted to come back north. So having been an army brat, I was raised in the army, I said, sure, I, I can move. So we chose to move to Napa after we came to the wine auction in 1989 and met so many wonderful people. So the transition seemed very natural because we were going from, first of all, from one beautiful area to another. Could focus on plants, could focus on plants again. And being introduced to all the wonderful people here, it was, it was really a joy. So we've been here since uh, 1990. And you were the proprietors of Araujo Estate and Isley Vineyards. That's correct. And that's a nice story in itself because from the time we bought uh, the Isley Vineyard in May of 1990 and when we went to the wine auction in June of 1990, sorry, 89, we met, as I mentioned, a lot of really nice people. And since we had been looking for property in the wine country, we started asking some of our new Napa friends, well, if we were to move here, who would we use as a realtor? And they all said, well, Gene Phillips and Ren Harris, they are the master vineyard brokers in the valley. And they really were. They knew everybody. They knew every property. They were really good people. So we met them and learned quite a bit about each other. And Jean decided that we should be given a chance to buy the Isley Vineyard. Uh, it was coming on the market, and Joe Phelps had turned it down. Yes, I heard. <laughs> so um, that was a huge opportunity. So she called us and she said, I want you to buy this vineyard. 
And we said, okay, <laughs> that sounds great. Well, it was great. It's a great vineyard. Joe Phelps is a wonderful man, one of our early mentors. And so I never thought coming to wine country would mean that I'd be in wine. I thought I would be in vineyards. Uh, my husband had a different idea. He said, I, well, you know, we could own a vineyard, but then we'd sell the grapes and we could never have control over them after that. That doesn't feel right to me. I like owning something from beginning to end. So he actually talked me into it. And because the Isley Vineyard um, had a small permit to do a winery, we were able to build a winery right on the site. And that's how I got into the wine business. So how were those first few years? Did you get a, like a crash course on the wine business? And was there someone specifically that mentored you through that process that you can speak to? I think Tony Soder is the, the, the first one because he agreed to be our winemaker. He was winemaker at Spotswood at the time, and I had met him during that first wine auction, very impressed with his presence and also with Spotswood Wines. So um, what mattered when we asked him was not who we were, because nobody knew who I was. Um, but they, everyone knew the Isley Vineyard. And so that was our introduction to getting to know the business, getting to know the people. And Tony was never shy about explaining to us how we knew nothing. And it was true, we knew nothing. So we, we depended on him a lot. He wrote uh, the original mission statement for Araujo Estate Wines, and we used it always. It was always correct. Um, Joe Phelps was the same way. He, having dealt with Isley Vineyard for many years, he... He, he had a trademark or something, didn't he? He did. He had the trademark for Isley Vineyard, and... Um, let's see, the first bottling of Isley Vineyard as a standalone wine was uh, 1971 Ridge, and the Isleys owned it. They had bought it in 86, and they decided they wanted to find out just how good of a vineyard is it. And so they took it, they were, had an introduction to um, Paul Draper, and he agreed to make the wine one year, and he made a fabulous wine. And then he didn't want to do that anymore because he only wanted to make wine that he was under his label. So the Isleys shopped around for a couple of years looking for someone to make wine from their vineyard. And they were introduced to Joe Phelps by an intermediary. And they both came from German backgrounds, Milt Isley, Joe Phelps, and they really hit it off. So Joe agreed to make the wines, and his first vintage was 1975, and his last was 1991, which was our first. So Joe had made wine for many years. He knew the vineyard extremely well, and uh, he, he just said to us one day, he said, just don't screw it up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't do that. You, you per really put it on the map, I thought. I think that's true in a way because, I mean, Joe has put the vineyard Established on the map. There, Established it. There's no question. Right. Um, when we came in and had an estate winery that we were 
owning the vineyard and making the wine, and the press was very excited about it. You know, it was very different then. There just weren't that many properties. Um, we just had so much encouragement from every direction, and the Wine Spectator came out and interviewed us, and many people did, and it was, you know, as Tony used to say, you, you guys don't know anything, <laughs> but my husband knows how to run a business, and I know how to grow things, and so we were so happy. You were a perfect partnership. Yeah, we were. You really were. So to accelerate the story, you ended up selling the winery and the vineyard. Was it difficult to sell your namesake wine brand? Uh, the difficulty for me was not the brand. Uh, it's well, your name, though. Well, this is true, but it was all about the Isley Vineyard, and that's why, yes, we had our wine on the bottle, but it, the most important name on the bottle was Isley Vineyard. And Bart used to say, you know, nobody can own the Isley Vineyard. We can be stewards for a while. Right. And we were, we really wanted to be the best stewards for that land. I mean, I have a huge commitment to land mm -hmm. and doing right by it, and it's not just the vines on it, but the soil underneath and all the people who work it. So, um, and this, this may seem odd, but there's also certain properties have a magical quality to it that grab you when you know it when you're there. There's a, a local genius that lives there, and this is one of those properties. And so it really cast a spell over me. Um, and so it was quite difficult to leave it. You could have said no. Well, you know, I'm in a partnership. Yes. <laughs> so. And your husband's a businessman. <laughs> and he loves to do serial entrepreneurial ventures. And he was ready for something new. And I, I said, well, I think you're crazy. But uh, anyway, we did sell. It did. Was mostly because um, we had an amazing offer from Francois Pinot and the when I believe your kids were overseas or, or yes. not nearby That's as right. well. That's right. So you weren't sure about your succession plan. We didn't have one. Right. They had never been involved in Napa. They had never been involved in the wine, I mean, at all. So it seemed like a, a good decision at the time. Within 24 hours or so, I think you got back in the wine business. Well, we have a realtor who's been a very good friend since we first arrived in the Valley. and. Shortly after the sale, which everybody knew about, um, he called Bart. He wasn't going to call me. <laughs> he <laughs> said, I know you're not in the market for a, for a property, but this property is really great because it's, it's got all the entitlements to do, build a winery and lots of vegetation rights, and uh, it's just perfect. And Bart said, oh, it would really be fun to do it again. But we did do it. We got a group of investors together and, and built Wheeler Farms, which is a winery, and it's a vineyard. And we started a new wine brand, this with our two children, Jamie and Greg Araujo. And we started Achendo Cellars. So that was the new, that was the family label after, after Isley Vineyard. How did you come up with the name? Achendo? Yes. Well, this sounds so silly, but I can tell you we read every dictionary we could get our hands on. And honestly, 
all the names had been taken oh, by them. Lordy. I mean, every astronomical name, every botanical name. I mean, we were at our wit's end, and we had a darling uh, assistant at that time, and she took the Latin dictionary home, and the next morning she said, I've got the name. It starts with an A and ends with an O, just like a Rajo, uh, and it's a chendo, and it means to ignite. To you know. light, yes. make a fire. Uh-huh, yeah. So we said, well, that sounds pretty darn good, and we showed it to Chuck House, who'd been our label designer from the beginning, and he said, oh, yeah, I can work with that for sure. So, so in 2013 is, is when you started this new brand. You produce Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, a Bordeaux-style blend. Is it Lorea? Yes. And then a grappa. Well, <laughs> we've always made a little grappa. It's not, it's not intrinsic to the brand, but we do it because you, you know, you just make it from the press. Bart happens to like it. I don't drink it myself, but it's kind of fun to have sure. for a special occasion. Over the 30 years that you've worked in the wine industry, what is the most significant change you've seen? I think the, there have been several. I mean, it's been quite a while when you think of all the changes that have happened in the world over the last 30 years. It's, it's almost a complete change. I would say in the wine business in Napa, as I know it, um, the proliferation of brands, uh, wineries, vineyards with suddenly a, a vineyard name, that no one's ever heard of before. Um, and then also the actual people who are in the business has changed because when we first arrived, all the principles of Mondavi, um, Joseph Phelps, uh, Schramsberg, uh, they were all active. They were the ones who came, they were the ones who started it, they were active. And those were our friends. Most of them were slightly older than we were, and then um, they're gone now. And so that sense of history of the valley, of, of creating something like that Mon Bob Mondavi did, extraordinary man, extraordinary vision, passion, and you, know, you, you don't replace that. It, it's, in your, it's in your heart, and it's in your history books, and, but the people are gone, and so that's, that's a big change. With this new brand, what is your role? Um, I tend to be involved up front, so mm -hmm. I work a lot on label design. Um, I've done a lot of writing in my life. I would say the editor-in-chief and probably the artistic director. Mm -hmm. uh, I also happen to like to taste wine. Uh, I've always loved our winemakers. I love Nigel Kinsman, who has been our winemaker since 2010. And I love Francoise Pechon, who's been making wine for us since 1993. Interfacing with those important people is, uh, I'm not the only one with that role, but it's very important that we, that we have that. And how would you describe the style of wine that you're producing under this label? I would describe it as balanced, beautiful, Powerful without the least bit of heaviness. It's the, the wines that, that evoke um, an emotional response. You're making about 3,000 cases. 
All together, yes. Mm -hmm. What's your current favorite? Well, in the summer, I love the Sauvignon Blanc. You were living on the Isley Vineyard property, but relocated after the sale to Oakville. Yes, we had no choice because our, our home, which we built at the vineyard, um, conveyed with, with the vineyard property, so we, we did have to move. Right. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What is your decorating style? I think the 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 architecture of the house is is very well it's a controlling element in the design because what i have in oakville is very different from what i had in calistoga calistoga we designed a house and built it that was quite traditional because um, i'm from the east coast originally and i love the virginia type farmhouses and, and that's what we built um, Oakville, on the other hand, is a fabulous house. We did not build it, and it's a contemporary house that lives beautifully. And I love the California plein air painters, and we had a bit of a collection that we had um, in Isley Vineyard. It didn't work in Oakville. The, the architecture was too... You know, the walls were too big, the light was too intense, and these paintings were for smaller walls, smaller rooms. And so a lot of those paintings are hanging in the halls of uh, the office here at Wheeler, and we ended up buying quite a bit of new art, and I wanted big canvases to fill the big walls and lots of color. So. When we bought the house, it was still inhabited by the couple, Scott and Nancy Harris, who had built it 10 years before. And their palette was very monochromatic and um, kind of a gray beige color. And I thought, I'd, uh, I need more color than that. And uh, I work with a lovely woman named Diane Chapman, um, who I like enormously. And she loves color. so. What you would see walking in our front door is that um, there's a lot of color on the walls in the, in the artwork. Um, there's color on the floor and the Persian carpets. We've, we've always had Persian carpets. And um, the furniture is a little bit on the traditional side, but it, it's more transitional. It's not modern and it's not totally traditional, but it's, it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Colors? Colors, red. Red, okay. A lot of red, um, and then offsetting white, and some notes of, of uh, kind of a buttery yellow, and chartreuse, mm. which, uh, you know, it's happy. Mm. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. It's pretty fun. Favorite room? Uh, oh, I'd have to say the living room, because it's, there are clear story windows in the house, and so any time of day, the light is coming in and faces southeast it's all glass i mean it's just you wake up and you feel like you're at a resort every day and that's the best room to see the views Absolutely. learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com when you entertain how do you make sure that you're going to have a successful evening it's all about the people. Yes. We like to do smaller groups, like six or eight or 10, 
sometimes, particularly in the summer, we'll do a larger group. Uh, there's a very pretty alley of sycamore trees on the property, and we have tables and chairs under that. And in, in the summer evening, it's magical with big paper lanterns hanging and the beautiful evening air. And that generally is a good recipe for a good party. But it's all really about the people. Is there a recipe or a dish that you serve that's always a crowd pleaser? We generally have a chef named Charlene Nicholson, and people love whatever it is she does. Um, she's very good with hors d'oeuvres, and she's very good with, well, with everything. I mean, we, 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 like, we like a lot of vegetables, and she's great with vegetables. And, Okay. Um, maybe one of my favorite meals in the winter would be a braised duck leg with um, winter greens. And that's a crowd pleaser. Okay. And what kind of music do you enjoy listening to? What's some of your, maybe not for entertaining, just for general? I was raised with classical music, and I do like that a lot. When I'm just driving around, I have it on Yacht Rock. I mean, that's pretty down market, but it's... It's kind of music from actually not even my era, a little more recent than that. But it's just, it's, it's pretty happy. I like people like um, the Doobie Brothers and Michael McDonald. You know, uh, I, I love the Stones. Because you're very versatile. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good music made in my day, yeah. Do you have a hobby? Do you have time for a hobby? Do you collect anything? Well, I'm a gardener. Oh, you are. And you have beehives, I yes. read. I don't keep the bees, but we have, very important for us to have hives. In fact, I've, um, there was a very interesting article recently in one of my garden magazines about a beekeeper um, in England who is creating hives inside the hollowed out logs of trees. Right. And then he hangs them up high the way where a bee hive would normally put itself, sort of up out of danger. And the more I thought about it, rather than um, keep bees for the honey, which we always do and we love the honey, that it makes a lot of sense just to keep the bees and make sure they're healthy. I don't know if you know, but they're, bees are very much endangered now. They, they're not doing well. Uh, so they're becoming extinct? Yeah, they have a lot of vulnerabilities. Hmm. Somehow the way we're keeping them is not keeping them safe. safe. The biggest one is a, it's a mite. We're, we're thinking that between Wheeler Farms and our home in Oakville, we could have hives that are just for the bees and we, we wouldn't take the honey. But it's really good honey. <laughs> Why not take the honey? Why? Well, because you're taking their food. Oh. And if you find that the hives, and this is what's happened all over, the hives are getting weaker. Um, they're, they're just not thriving. So, so could you take half the honey? Well, theoretically, yes. And we never take it all anyway. But right. it's, just, it's just, you just start to feel responsible for your land and for... Your or environment nature, and the environment, yeah. nature and the environment, yeah. and right. and you realize that the bees are not doing as well as they used to do, right? For what, all manner of, and know, what can it, we do to preserve them? Yeah, and we all need them desperately, right? Know. For pollination, everything for the world, right? Yeah. Interesting. So I have to believe, and and you were starting to go down this path until I 
I brought up the beehives, that your gardens must be spectacular around your home because you love gardening. Well, I don't know if they're spectacular. You might spectacular, not be out there but gardening, they're, they're, but you're... They're, they're fun. Yeah, you might have um, laid out the plan that was oh, yes. implemented. Oh, yes. And I have a gardener who's been with us for 27 years now. So what are the highlights of the plants in your garden? The rear garden, which is where the entertaining spaces look out on, uh, look south over the vineyards beyond to the mountains in the east. And it's a beautiful, serene view. So that garden is very simple. Green, there's lawn, there are green shrubberies, there are green trees. Uh, I'm not a big flower person. Um, like, I wouldn't plant annuals in that garden. So that, that's that part. It's just, it looks effortless, and it's very calming. But on the north side of the house, which is the entry side, I love having a garden that I can garden in. So growing f flowers and lots of vegetables. And the flowers are for the pollinators and vegetables for the consumption. And what you would, s and then the other, that's half of the garden in the front, and the other half is all a, a pollinator garden. And I think we must have three coveys of quail that live in there. It's, it's a habitat. And once it starts blooming in the spring, we don't go in there. But I can look out and I can see the little quail going through. And, you know, it's just, it's not what I would call a spectacular garden. But the, but the thing is, it's a living garden. Mm -hmm. And it's active and it's full of bees and these birds and butterflies and it's just a, it's a it's a living place i love it yeah and it's you've been very mindful of what you designed yes tell me why you decided to start a soap business oh that's easy um we like to travel and one summer we were do we were doing hiking trips quite regularly and this trip was in the south of france we, we started out in um, San Remy, and then we hiked over to Le Beau and then down. And, and um, while we were there, we noticed that um, all the vineyards had bees, and all the shops had um, olive oil soap because they also have olive trees and it's the same climate as we have here they all of those mediterranean things thrive here as well as in the mediterranean and i just thought that was really neat that we could have our own soap um, using the lavender that we grow and the olive oil that we grow and make a soap so we've been doing that for quite a while now so do you make an olive oil that people can purchase as well as we the do. soap? Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Okay. Wheeler Farms has an oil, uh, Achendo has an oil, and we had an oil at the Isley Vineyard. Okay. Um, when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, as someone who cared deeply about the land and the valley, I would say that the natural side of the valley, it's a, it's a disappearing landscape. And I'd like to think that it could be here for generations just in the, 
in the, the purity that, that is here, it may have, obviously things have changed, but it's still, when you look out, you're driving up or down the valley, and you look out across the vineyards, up to the mountains, and uh, I wanna be remembered as someone who cared about that and did what she could to preserve it. it. Yeah. Things like the land trust and, and just gardening my own garden. We're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Okay. These are very lighthearted. Okay. Or they're intended to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Tesla. Okay. What's your favorite gemstone? Oh, golly. Does one have to choose? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite gemstone today? Well, I love my wedding ring, which has diamonds. Okay. What's your all-time favorite pairing? I can't say I have an all-time one. My whole life is pairing wine and food. And if it works, that's my, that's my favorite. So you don't have just like bubbles and french fries or I don't know. I'm well, sure. I mean, you bet. I love I'm not going to answer the question for you. <laughs> so, so let me give you an example. Recently, I had a birthday and our good friends, Joe Wender and, and Colgan came over and Joe brought a magnum uh, of Bordeaux wine, Chateaubriand, from mm -hmm. um, my birth year. And it was a magical wine. Um, and I, I think we had salmon with it from, from Bouchon. And, you know, there's not a match better than that. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and, and a beautifully prepared salmon. That's one of my favorites. Okay, there you go. Yeah. What is the last piece of candy you ate? I feel like it was this morning I had a fig. It was just like eating candy. I don't, I don't really eat candy. I mean, I eat a cookie, chocolate chip cookies from Tate's. Okay, we're going to let her, let her go with that one. <laughs> and... What's your favorite city? The city you can go back to again and again and again and never get tired of it. I love Washington, D.C. I was born there. I've, when I was growing up, my grandparents lived there. We now have a granddaughter at Georgetown. And uh, I do love going back there because it reminds me of my childhood. And I think it's a great city. I think everything it stands for is great in this country. So I, I think Washington would be my favorite. Okay, Daphne, you've been fantastic. Thank you, Michelle. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.